Greetings, fans of Doctor Who Podcasts. We have an important message that we'd like to share with you. We've all been moved by recent events. The survivors at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School are using their voices to speak out for those who cannot, to say never again, and demand change. We are asking the Doctor Who community to follow their example and to shine a light on this urgent issue. This March, representatives of all your favorite Doctor Who podcasts and some special guests will be coming together to do a podcast commentary of the 1969 Patrick Troughton story, The War Games. That's 10 episodes of Classic Who, with more than 40 writers, authors, podcasters, and fans participating, including a special commentary with Stephen Moffat. But here's the thing. We're not putting out this podcast on any one show's feed. We're only releasing it to listeners who provide a donation to an organization committed to ending gun violence. Here's what you have to do. Make a donation of $10 or more to March for Our Lives or the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence or Moms Moms Demand Demand Action or the Community Justice Reform Coalition. These organizations are U.S.-based and focused on changing American laws and policy. They welcome international donations. However, if you live outside the U.S. and want to donate to an organization in your own country, you can find some suggestions at realitybombpodcast.com slash whoagainstguns. If you send a copy of your receipt to Gallifrey Stands at realitybombpodcast.com, you'll get information on where to download your special commentary podcast later in March. You can find more details at realitybombpodcast.com slash whoagainstguns. The doctor has implored us to be kind, and in 2018, amplifying a good good cause is one way that we can be be kind to each other and our world. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. So let's get involved. And be kind. Whereas you have been stupid, Doctor. Prerogative of a Time Lord. Once upon a time, the Doctor couldn't have been more 80s. Loud, brash, arrogant, and with a costume you could see from outer space. Was he too different from the Doctors who came before? Jason Snell joins us to revisit the Sixth Doctor on the March 6th edition of This Week in Time Travel. Welcome back to This Week in Time Travel, and we have finally come off of our convention high, back to normal programming. We've got Jason Snell, who is host of The Incomparable and the guy who runs the network that we're on, and he's going to be joining us at the end of the show to talk about The Sixth Doctor. In the meantime, we do actually have some news. And some of it we're making, not by any means the principal people making this news, but we're proud to be a part of it. We promoted it at the beginning of last week's episode, but we're part of an effort called Who Against Guns. There's a hashtag in front of that. Yep. We are raising money for organizations which are combating gun violence in the United States, as well as supporting a few organizations internationally who are doing good work in this space. And we are going to be joining 38 other 
Doctor Who podcasters, fans, and professionals to record an exclusive commentary of The War Games, the Patrick Troughton episode um, that came at the very end of his tenure. I've been enjoying rewatching the story this weekend. I've been taking it in bits because there are 10 episodes, and that is a lot of Doctor Who to watch all in one day. But it is a really wonderful story. And I've also just been really proud of this community to see how much everybody has been coming together to raise money for these organizations. And we've just been climbing and climbing, getting closer and closer to our fundraising goals. It's been really remarkable to see. And we, at the time of recording, had a really big surprise over the weekend when Stephen Moffat, former showrunner, announced that if a challenge goal of $7,000 was met, that he would record an exclusive commentary on episode 10 to support Who Against Guns, which is amazing. It's really, really remarkable. And we are so grateful that Stephen is coming in to support this effort and help us raise money for these organizations. So if you have not donated yet, we will have the link to the instructions in our show notes. Basically, you go and make a donation to one of multiple organizations. Uh, We're suggesting the Brady Campaign, March for Our Lives, and Moms Demand Action. There's a few other organizations listed as well. So please take a look at that. Email us your receipt. There is an email address on the instruction page. uh, So you go and you email your receipt there. And then March 12th is when we believe these commentaries should be going out. So you will get that if we meet our challenge goals. Um, There will be some very interesting people adding their own commentaries to this group. We want to give special shout outs to Graham Burke, Joy Piedmont, and our friend here on the podcast, Rachel Donner, who have been doing so much great work um, to organize all of this, get the messaging out, collect all of the receipts from all of you, and make sure that you are on our list to receive that special podcast commentary. They've just been doing some exceptional work, putting so much of their time into this effort, uh, and we couldn't be uh, more grateful to them for that. And we'll now take a quick break to talk to our roving correspondent, Future Chip, to find out how we're doing on the tally. As of Monday night, March 5th at 11 p.m., Who Against Guns has raised more than $9,000. That's easily allowed us to meet Stephen Moffat's challenge. And Mr. Moffat is recording a special commentary about the war games for the cause. Grateful to him. Grateful to all of you for donating. More good news to come. Visit realitybombpodcast.com slash whoagainstguns for more information. Back to the past and your future. Thanks, future me. So we do also have some additional news for things that came out lately. You may have noticed, if you are following at all any British entertainment news, that a group of several dozen female writers wrote an open letter to drama executives in the UK 
basically calling them out for the lack of opportunities to be able to write for the premier drama shows in the UK, amongst which would be Doctor Who. Uh, Now, these uh, executives had a number of responses to the concerns that were raised in this letter, particularly of note, BBC drama chief Piers Wenger said that Doctor Who will be having more female writers next season. So that's multiple women writing for the show next season. And that's good news. Let me be very clear. That's very positive news. And I'm very happy to hear that there will not just be one, but there will be multiple women writing next season. But I did think the use of Doctor Who was a little interesting to deflect sort of the concerns that were raised in this letter, because um, the show is 54 years old and has only had six women write for the show in its entire history. Now, you should be making progress. You should be moving forward and adding more women writers. And that's good. But maybe it's a little bit questionable to use the show as sort of a way to say, oh, but we're making progress in the future. Because you've had a lot of opportunities to make progress. And uh, that's not been doing so great. And using Doctor Who as a even if it is going to be doing much better uh, on this front next season, which we still don't have credits for upcoming writers. And we don't we don't even know whether, like Broadchurch, Chris Chibnall is going to take lead writing credits on every single episode or whatever. But even so, the BBC is a big organization. You can't just point to, oh, look, at, look and see how Doctor Who's doing over here next year with especially with the history that you've described, Alyssa, and just sort of use that as a shield to protect the entire rest of the British Broadcasting Corporation. I just don't think you can do that. And let's also be clear here. If you're going to hold up Doctor Who as being a sign of progress, I will be sitting there tallying the number of women writers who receive on-screen writing credit for the episode, because I'm going to make a wild guess here that it's not going to be anywhere close to parody. And if it is something that is similar to models that Chibnall has used before with Writer's Room, uh, in which he has the lead writing credit, you know, that's going to be definitely something to raise an eyebrow at. So yes, great that you're going to have more women writers there. I want women to get their credit. I want them to get their due. And I wouldn't necessarily hold up the addition of two or three more writers to be great because six women have written for the show in the entire 54-year history, seven men wrote for the show last season. So I'm not exactly going to be throwing confetti from the ceiling until we're, you know, maybe just even at parody. We've got a couple of other little bits of news before we get on to the world of the sixth doctor. Let's start with your weekly clickbait. Uh, Digital spy columnist thinks that there should be an expanded Doctor Who universe, just like uh, what's going on with the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the all of the spinoff movies for uh, Star Wars. Apparently, the thing that Doctor Who needs right now is a lot more product carefully continuity copped. And you know what? I just bet somebody at the BBC read that, held out their hand and went, great, give me Marvel's money. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. it's an interesting idea, and there's definitely a lot to do with that. But also, uh, you think Marvel continuity is messy. My friend, let me introduce you to Doctor Who continuity. And the article sort of makes this argument that this is what you need. And then it sort of says, oh, by the way, they've done it before, and sort of drops it. 
Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, you know, arguably 2005 to 2010, you know, the Russell T. Davis years, arguably that is exactly what you had. And the column minimizes class as well, which regardless of how successful you think it is, you know, is a 10 episode series that had it been marketed properly and had it gone over well enough could have expanded and gone on. You know, I feel like you do have a Doctor Who expanded universe and look at Big Finish, look at the comics, look at you've even got thanks to the peculiarities of British copyright, you've got novels about Lethbridge Stewart that are approved of by the estate of the guy who created Lethbridge Stewart for Doctor Who. You've got so much Doctor Who material out there. I don't think imposing a canon straitjacket uh, by Cardiff and marketing all of this stuff with an official BBC logo and if the doctor sneezes in a comic book, the companion has to say bless you in a big finish audio after that. That's not, no, that's the, this is why I called it your weekly clickbait. It's, it also still comes down to money. You know, Marvel has the money and the Marvel has licensed aspects of its show to multiple different platforms. There are television shows taking place on Netflix and Hulu. Um, there are multiple movies. There are still comic books going and, Part of it is there's funding from the networks, there's funding from uh, movie producers, and it would take a lot more serious investment in Doctor Who to make anything like that happen. Uh, maybe we can get more spinoffs happen in time, but those are spinoffs and creating something like a Marvel Cinematic Universe plus a Marvel TV universe. That's a lot of investment that I would love to see in Doctor Who, but I don't see that coming imminently. We also had a bit of happy news last week. Roger Delgado was born 100 years ago, last Thursday, March 1st, and there was just a lovely celebration of the man and the actor and the character of the master over this past week on Twitter as people shared their favorite episodes and stories from Doctor Who with the Delgado master. And it was just a delightful, delightful way to spend the week. As I'm sure you all know, I'm a big Third Doctor fan, uh, and the Delgado Delgado Master is still the original and the best of that character. And uh, I just loved hearing, I thought I knew quite a bit of stories about Delgado and Pertwee's friendship on the show. And yet people were still pulling out letters from Pertwee talking about his fond memories and friendship with Delgado during filming. And it's just utterly delightful. They, you know, they really seem to enjoy each other's company on the show. I think, you know, even though that they are opponents and bitter rivals, you know, you can see that come through on the screen a little bit, that they just they just have that fondness for each other. And it's just delightful. I know somebody who participated in a great cosplay photo at the Gallifrey One convention uh, from the Sea Devils. Uh, that would be me. And that would be the Twitter user, The Master Dances. He was the master in his Navy disguise. And I was Joe Grant in her lovely white and purple pantsuit from the Sea Devils. And let me tell you, wool is very uncomfortable to wear for multiple hours in Los Angeles, even in February. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still worth it because uh, we had a great time together. And the great thing was not a lot of people recognized the Joe suit, even though like it's not her most iconic outfit, but like it's a white and purple pantsuit, folks. 
come on. But as soon as I was with the guy and he looks riff, um, that's uh, his name looks astonishingly like the master, uh, like Roger Delgado. Um, so him in his costume around with me, it's like people were pointing and going, yes, I get it now. I get it. And that's really delightful when people get your cosplay. So we had a lot of fun with that. Finally, speaking of conventions, I don't think we've mentioned this on the podcast yet. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times on Twitter, but this week in time travel is going to Regeneration Who, the weekend of March 23rd. And not only are we going, but we're going to be on stage. We're going to be, it could be a very small stage. We could be stuck in a closet somewhere. We don't know. But yes, this week in time travel, we'll be doing a live show at the Regeneration Who convention in Baltimore, weekend of March 23rd. We will have some wonderful guests, which hopefully we will be able to announce soon. But if you will be at Regeneration Who, reach out to us on Twitter, let us know, and we will advertise the time and location of our live show as soon as we know it. And that is the end of the news for this week in time travel. When we come back, Jason Snell, our lord and master of the network, all praise be upon him, will be joining us to celebrate one of the most unjustly maligned of all doctors, the sixth, that's played by Colin Baker, when we come back to our walk through all of the doctors over time. This week on The Incomparable Network. The Hollywood Reporter's chief television critic says we may have reached peak cop, not a cop pairing on Tim Goodman's TV talk machine. Remember the mouse and the motorcycle? I loved that book. Phil and John look back at Beverly Cleary's sequel, Runaway Ralph, on Click It Cast. It had a mouse! It had a motorcycle! And with a sequel finally on the way, Jason and company celebrate Pixar's The Incredibles on The Incomparable. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. And we're back, and after two weeks of just reveling in the galley goodness, we are back to our series, introducing everybody to each of the doctors and talking about why they are wonderful and why we love them. Today, uh, we have the good captain of the ship, Incomparable, here with us, Jason Snell from the Incomparable Network. Thank you so much for coming in to defend uh, probably the most challenging of the doctors, the sixth doctor. I don't know how this happened, but I am here. I, it's because I volunteered to do it. I I, uh, I am happy to be here. Uh, it's great to be on the show, and I will I will speak uh, positive things about Colin Baker. That's what's going to happen. Well, when you show up on my other podcast, the Audio Guide to Babylon Five, you keep, typically show up for a disaster, like an episode where a small child dies or a mm-hmm. planetary civilization dies or something like that. So. You're kind of a harbinger of doom on that podcast. (laughs) Are you sure you're not here to say unkind things about Colin Baker? Uh, we can make it dark. I mean, this is this is an era where so many of the episodes were criticized for uh, increased violence, um, including episodes that I really like, like Vengeance on Veros. Um, and of course, don't forget that the major plot point in Revelation of the Daleks is that uh, Davros is basically selling uh, dead people as food. So <laughs> there's plenty in here, Chip. Plenty. Soylent Green is Daleks. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but but you are saying that in fact. There is merit to the Sixth Doctor and that Absolutely. the Sixth Doctor era is not the low point of Doctor Who. Uh, well, I don't want to make the Sylvester McCoy people angry at me, um, <laughs> but I, I, 
I, I would say, okay, so here's the thing. Um, I My peak of Doctor Who fandom in the 80s came when Colin Baker was just getting into the part. I... Uh, now, keeping in mind in the U.S., of course, we were watching, I was watching Tom Baker and then Peter Davison and then John Pertwee and then Tom Baker again and then Tom Baker again. But uh, I got really into the show and I started buying books and I started buying Doctor Who magazine and all of those things happened as Colin Baker was taking over the role. And so my first season that I ever experienced as they're making new episodes and here's what they are, we've learned what's going on, is season 22, the real Colin Baker season, basically, for lack of a better way to describe it. And so I have that uh, attached to Colin Baker. It was very exciting to have that uh, that season. And I went to a convention where they screened the two doctors and uh, Patrick Troughton was there. And that was really cool. I I agree. I'm one of those people who really believes like John Nathan Turner um, modernized the show in a lot of really great ways. And also overstayed his welcome. Um, and, and the Colin Baker era is really bridging the gap between the era where John Nathan Turner wanted, uh, from when he wanted to ride high and take Doctor Who as far as he could take it, and that he wanted to get out. You could probably argue that the McCoy era is essentially hands off more for him and he sort of just doesn't even want to be there but he's casting catching uh cashing the paychecks from the bbc the colin baker era is kind of in the middle um there's some interesting stuff going on um and the extenuating circumstances of the colin baker era i think make uh make it harder to uh talk positively about the sixth doctor because this is a point where the show was um lots of fundamental tenets of the show like that episodes were 25 minutes long were being questioned um it it had a huge huge hiatus it it had its uh episode order cut in half essentially when it came back for season 23 and then it got uh and then they fired colin baker and and uh he regenerated essentially without him being present so uh, there's a lot of uh outside the show kind of stuff that i think is also one of the reasons why um, my main thesis being i think it's really unfortunate that colin baker didn't get three proper normal Doctor Who seasons to have as an era, because I think that era would be thought of a lot better. But instead, it's the era where Doctor Who almost got canceled. By the way, that precedes the era where Doctor Who actually got canceled, which is about (laughs) to happen, but not yet. So anyway, I I think, um, yeah, I think it's weird. He's got an episode, you know, he doesn't regenerate on camera. He's got an episode where uh, in the previous Doctor's season, The Twin Dilemma, which is a really weird decision and not a good episode. He's really only got one season that you'd think of as a normal Doctor Who season. And in there, the episodes are kind of weirdly paced because they turned all of the episodes from 25 minutes to 50 minutes. That said, I think that season 22 is also pretty defensible. And that when you think about season 22 and then try to imagine two more seasons kind of on that path with him getting more into the role, I think he I think Colin Baker himself didn't have the best he was not set up for success, and it's too bad, especially when people now will listen to some of his big finish audios and reconsider that character. I think that, that he might have had the chance to do that if he had been given a normal season 23 and 24, but he wasn't. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that a lot of, you know, sort of how I reacted to Colin Baker's time on Doctor Who was, for lack of a better word, reformed by getting to hear a little bit about who Colin Baker was as sort of a person and hearing 
all of the stuff that he was putting up with behind the scenes. Uh, and frankly, he's just been such a good advocate recently for Doctor Who fans. You know, he's been the foremost person out there um, defending the uh, introduction of Jodie Whittaker to the show, that he is so very invested in the success of this show, which is just, it's it's incredible given everything that he went through and how awfully he was treated. You know, he would be entirely within his, his rights to just sort of walk up, middle fingers up, and just go, I'm done with all of you. Goodbye. Six and Doctor out. Six Doctor out. And yet he, he stays and he's invested and he wants it to do well. Given the circumstances of his departure, where he was just fired, he, the only time in Doctor Who history where the actor has just been like, you're, you're sacked and, and then like, but we can bring you back for one episode and then you'll die. Yeah, and he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I, I think his the story goes. His counteroffer was, why don't you give me one more season and I'll and I'll leave at the end of that. And they're like, nope. And yeah. so they just put, uh, you know, put Sylvester McCoy in the Six Doctor outfit with some padding, presumably, and then just <laughs> went from there. Um, I, I'll have I have another little thesis that I'll throw out there. And again, it's 80s Doctor Who. It's gonna. It's not like the modern series at all. But um, just as a lot of people argue that the McCoy era has some is attempting to do some things that um, you can see they're trying to be more modern and you can see that reflected when the series came back in 2005. I would argue um, the intent with the with the, the sixth doctor is not that different than the intent with Peter Capaldi's doctor at the beginning, which is what if we start a mo- Everybody's used to everybody loving the doctor. Everybody loved Peter Davison. He was, he was young and happy and friendly and wore his cricketing outfit. We're going to go another direction and we're going to have him be abrasive and alien and weird and unpleasant. And then he'll evolve over time. That's that's what they did with Colin Baker. That's also what they did with Peter Capaldi. The difference is they didn't do it as well with Colin Baker, and he didn't have a chance. And then it was over. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not saying Colin Baker is Peter Capaldi, but I'm saying I think it was the same instinct in both cases. Yeah, um, I think a lot of uh, commentators on Doctor Who, especially uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Robert Smith and Graham Burke uh, in their books, they, they talk about the experimental impulse that jnt uh, had to the doctor can be anyone the doctor can do anything the doctor can have any personality let's just do something completely different and part of that is the doctor's abrasiveness um he's also something of a especially early on he's something of a coward and he's something of a blowhard um and that was really off-putting and then the costume Oh, the costume. Well, I, I, one of my feelings about John Nathan Turner is that he realized that fandom and also American fandom was a pathway for the show, for merchandising, for marketing. That, uh, and my, my general feeling about Doctor Who in the 80s and the JNT era is that it became a show kind of obsessed with appealing to fans rather than being a show that would be loved by the general viewing audience in the UK. And, you know, fans ate it up for a while, but it killed their ratings and eventually and they're standing within the bbc and eventually the show died and the costume i think uh colin baker's costume is a perfect example of that where that is let's do a wacky doctor who costume that everybody will talk about and that it will be completely clear about what it, you know what it is and you, you you can't miss it and it just like 
the you can see the reaction in the modern series where it's like he will wear a leather jacket or he will wear a suit <laughs> it's just like not that that's the that's the reaction to the colin baker thing so i think it's all part of that john nathan turner like i get why he had those impulses but uh i hate that part of it i mean i i hate it it's it's funny that in the big finish audios everybody has sort of settled on this like alternate kind of blue palette uh six doctor <laughs> outfit was like later in his life perhaps he calmed down until he regenerated and then he got the weird coat back for that scene. <laughs> I think it's, you know, there's this this whole discussion about how doctorish um, he is because it, it does l- lean into some of those otter elements of it, that they really lean into him being sort of weird and alien. And I, you know, I sort of see where they're going for with it. But I think one of the things that makes the doctor a really compelling character is that even if he's weird and alienish, there is something that is sort of like, attempting to want to be human and trying for that. You know, you have certainly very flamboyant Doctor Who costumes, thinking particularly of the third and fourth Doctor. Um, But there was something very odd but recognizable about them. You know, people gave the third Doctor looks when he went out and, you know, thought that he was in fancy dress, that he was in, you know, work in a theater costume. Um, But it was, you know, still recognizably of Earth. It was just weird in how he did it. The fourth Doctor looked like any sort of random bohemian kind of guy, but it's the long scarf that really sets him apart. And even then, it's something that it's just, you know, somebody sat down and gone to knitting far too long and created this kind of absurd thing, but is still very grounded. And even the 13th Doctor, you know, a lot of people are commenting about her costume and how sort of weird it is. And yet, one of the things I've been looking at as I've been going through all the women's clothing stores lately is that every single piece, even though it's kind of odd in how she's put it together, is very recognizably of the moment, very high fashion. And I'm seeing a lot more of that kind of stuff out and available. It's like the way the doctor goes through a thrift store and puts together something is definitely odd, but it's things you could pull from a thrift store. And right. that's a very hard outfit to pull from a thrift store. <laughs> That the Sixth yeah. Doctor has. No, that's it. It is completely synthetic, you know, engineered for a costume for Doctor Who in a way that basically no other Doctor Who costume is. And that's one of the reasons that I think it's 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 no good. But, uh, you know, but I still, again, I'm here. I, I, I admit that anytime you're talking about the Sixth Doctor, there is an element of failure analysis in it because it's hard not, even if you like Colin Baker, and I do... It's hard not to say that his era was a failure. It was short and it had a huge uh, um, hiatus in the middle. And then and the show kind of never recovered from that. It was never the same. Even in the McCoy era, the the episode orders were much less. Um, You know, it it, it definitely it's about finding reasons that it went wrong and understanding that maybe given different circumstances, it could have been better. But the costume is a perfect example where the show had just kind of gotten away from reality. And I think it is one of the reasons that it just was on the long slide downward to cancellation. I'd like to separate the show a little bit from the character of the sixth doctor. You know, the the episodes as they turned out, if Colin Baker had been served better and if the show had been served better with better scripts and more thoughtful stuff, was the sixth doctor an interesting or good doctor? To get back to my Peter Capaldi analogy, I kind of need to imagine a progression on his part over time, and we didn't get to see it. Um, I would have liked to have seen that 
progression. I can imagine it maybe with the big finish audios that that he would become more we would warm up to him and he would warm up to us over time. I can't envision that not happening if they were on a regular production schedule if they had made their planned season 23 i think that there are attempts late in season 22 to really have the relationship with you know the, the relationship with perry they are meant to be bickering but there is some warmth that is intended to be there that you see more in some places and less in others i think that character needed more room to evolve although there's a little bit and trial of a time lord you know is a mess of a story or series of stories kind of shoved together um so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to think that the the sixth doctor is a doctor who has an interesting origin where it's a kind of confused regeneration and he's violent and he's paranoid and then later he's prickly. And it, the idea is he's evolving back toward being a recognizable doctor, but there's some drama in watching the evolution. I'll point out that I think there's a lot of evidence that Peter Capaldi's first season, this was the plan and they realized as they were going that they had gone too far and he was too unlikable and they buffed off a lot of his rough edges by the time you get to the end of that season i suspect um you know this is the problem is you you say you want an alien and somewhat unlikable doctor and then you realize oh wait it's the lead of our show it's the heart of our show we we can't do that and so i I would like to believe that colin baker if you had given him a normal season 23 and 24 that by the end he would have been uh, a much more recognizable uh, character for Doctor Who fans and that people would have been sad when he regenerated at the end of season 24 but alas that didn't happen I do want to dig into that sort of unlikableness of the Doctor a little bit and we've talked about this before about you know my feelings towards the 12th Doctor um, in his first series but there's sort of a difference between being unlikable and being rude and I think where they <laughs> went too far in making Peter Capaldi's Doctor Unlikable um, really has a lot to do with that first season in which he is sort of bitterly tearing down Clara on the basis of how she looks, all of those remarks about her physical appearance, um, and being really quite rude about it. And I think that's sort of, for me, where I get really thrown off with the Sixth Doctor, because he's not really written to be unlikable. He's written to be rude, and particularly to Perry. Yeah, I mean, he he calls Perry fat repeatedly, which is, one, ludicrous (laughs) ludicrous yes. <laughs> and two super awful and yes. two is and again they, they they mean it to be kind of kind of like they're sparring like they're an old married couple or something but it does not come across like that most of the no, time no it does not every woman that i know would kill for a bottle body like nicola bryant's like mm-hmm. that is a excellent hourglass figure and i am still kind of in love with perry to be honest but like that she's not fat by any stretch of the imagination no, but he 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 tells her she eats too much and that she's too fat and it's ridiculous. But I get what they're going for there. But yeah, it's it's unpleasant. And I just think it's funny that we have these parallels between uh, six and 12 in terms of the producer saying, hey, I've got an idea. Let's make him abrasive and unlikable. And then there's a moment where it's like, oh, no, this is not um, 
this is not going the way we thought it was. And I, I do think that in a less kind of chaotic and confused time, Colin Baker's doctor would have been given a chance to evolve. But th- this comes back to the same story, which is this is not a doctor whose story was allowed to be told to any level of completion. It got a, a, a normal season with a weird format change, followed by a very weird shortened season after a long break. And then he was fired off camera and never got a chance to say goodbye. It's 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 too bad that we didn't get, you know, how can you judge from act one of anything what the second and third act are going to be. Uh, especially since no one was really seemingly to be very invested in his success overall. It seems not. Um, I, I do wonder the level of the monkeying around between the BBC and the production office at this point. It doesn't help you've got a producer who very clearly by the end of it all didn't even want to be there and was told he had to stay. That if he yeah. wanted a job, that would be his job. So he was in purgatory there. He was a, uh, uh, John Nathan Turner, I think, was a uh, somebody with some uh, nice career aspirations. And he thought this would be a, a rung on the ladder. And then it turned out that it ended up being a trap for him. Um, I will say, by the way, because I haven't said a lot about it, I think season 22 is not bad. I think there are weird things about it. But in the, in, in the context of 1980s Doctor Who, I actually think there's a lot of good stuff in season 22, which is sort of what I think of as the real Colin Baker season, because Trial of a Time Lord is so strange. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of things I don't like about it. And Twin Dilemma, better, you know, I mean, it was a mistake to do it, to have it come on right after. It's not a good story, and it's right after Caves of Androzani, which everybody loved. And, of course, everybody loved Peter Davison. And then you leave that as your only thing with Colin Baker for uh, a season break. But that actual season 21, like, th- there are a lot of defenders of At- Attack of the Cybermen, which is a very interesting story with a lot of, lot of interesting stuff. I love Vengeance on Varos. I know it's weird, but as a big Max, Max Headroom fan, I love the uh, media and political criticism that's in there, even though Perry does become a bird at one point, and I don't understand why, and it's yeah. very strange. It's very uh, a lot strange. Of people, uh, Mark of the Ronnie, where you get the Master and the Ronnie together. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Uh, the two Doctors, uh, Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines, are so fun. So great to see sort of a regular story with a past Doctor interacting with a present Doctor. It's too long, um, and there's a lot of gross stuff in it, but I think there's a lot of merit there. Uh, Time Lash uh, is a long-standing Doctor Who tradition to have a terrible story every season, and Time Lash does that. <laughs> Time and Lash is it. <laughs> and then Revelation of the Daleks, which I think Revelation of the Daleks is brilliant. There are things in it, like we mentioned, that are unpleasant, but it's funny and weird. Uh, I do think it's also strange that the Doctor and Perry have almost nothing to do for the first 40 minutes of the, sh- I mean, the first half of the story, basically. Yeah. <laughs> they are not present, and yet there's a lot in there I, 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 that I think is incredibly funny. I think it's a great use of Davros, uh, and there are not a lot of examples of that in the latter day uh, Davros, where he was just kind of a head who said things. Um, uh, uh, Alexi Sale is the DJ, I actually think is a hilarious concept because he's kind of commenting on the story as it goes. Um, and and like it's I, so I really like that episode. I think it's very darkly funny and brilliant. And and so as a whole, and like I could I could make a real case for season twenty two as being underrated, but the problem is. you know, then it goes completely off the rails. The the show arguably is never the same after the hiatus because they cut the the story order in half. Colin Baker only gets that one truncated season and then he's fired. And then Sylvester McCoy gets his three um, severely shortened seasons to be the doctor. You definitely have a case. I think one of the big things for me is that there's a lot in season 22 that I do enjoy. I think that one of the things that sort of hangs over all of my enjoyment of The Sixth Doctor is the fact that there is so much 
and like I'm not against violence for you know an interesting story. Vengeance of Veros does that, um, I think, pretty well. But there's a lot of particularly gendered violence against Perry that makes yep. me very, very uncomfortable in watching this. And so it's one of those, you know, I'll find myself going to YouTube clips in which I don't need to go through the whole season to be able to enjoy the bits that I like just because the bits that are bad can be really, really bad in terms of that. Um, but uh, I do enjoy, um, I think, the Cybermen, honestly, the way they are in season 22. of uh, They're just, they seem like more fascinating characters, right? to be honest. They, 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 the show very rarely gives the Cybermen anything interesting to do across its entire history. And but they're Pac, actually fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. I, the, it's funny uh, to bring back the Capaldi parallel. I don't know what the deal is with how they treat Perry in season 22, because I think one of the good things about uh, Peter Capaldi's first season is that uh, Jenna Coleman is there and we know her and we can be on Clara's side. And uh, when he's abrasive toward her, we can be like, hey, you know, we we care about Clara. Back and, off and of you our get friend. Yeah, yes. and you get the, the sense that the show cares about Clara. And season 22, it's like, what do they have in for Perry? Because, like, I don't get the sense at all that the show likes Perry. I, they make her the butt of so many jokes. Like, why do you even have her present if you're going dads. to treat her the way? Yeah, I guess. But, like, she's not treated with any respect. She's a butt of jokes. It's it's too bad because I feel like if we if we were rooting for Perry, then the dynamic with the doctor being mean to her changes a little bit and might be more interesting but as it is she's just a like a punching bag sometimes figuratively sometimes literally in season mm-hmm. 22 so six doctor definitely a lot interesting some good and some very not good but for beginners if you are just trying to get started with uh, colin baker's tenure what would be a good episode do you think to, to start with Wow. Um, there aren't a whole I, lot I of choices, are there? I, I, there are not a lot of choices. I think uh, it depends on your uh, predilection as a fan. If you like the classic series Monsters and Things, I think Attack of the Cybermen is the way to go. If you like uh, weird uh, kind of like uh, political commentary, like some of the Robert Holmes stuff during uh, the Tom Baker era, um, and some weird monsters too, Vengeance on Veros, which is my personal favorites one of my very favorite classic series episodes because it's got this just scabrous uh condemnation of essentially social media and democracy happening i think it's actually more relevant now than ever um and so i love it a lot of people don't love it i really do love it even though perry turns into a bird and um (laughs) if you like if you like the black comedy basically of any kind in any form i say revelation of the daleks because that is a supremely weird dark story and you will i think you will be surprised if you haven't given it a spin so those are i'm going to split across those three based on who you are as a fan but i'd say it's got to be something from season 22 trial of the time lord is what it is but i i don't think i could recommend in inflicting it on anyone as a whole uh, as a as their first introduction I think I agree with a lot of your choices. Mark of the Ronnie is what I started with. And I'm very glad that I started there because it didn't give me like uh, an overly biased against Colin Baker tenure feel like of all of them. It had the least problems and the most to enjoy about it. So I feel like it's a very good beginners episode for it. Of That's good. Watch and it's got, and the, like and it's got the, the master and the Ronnie are like a different kind of villain. They're not a monster. They're a exactly. you know, time, two Time Lord adversaries kind of teaming up against the doctor is a very different kind of story that we don't get very often 
and and they're both sort of delightfully weird and wonderful together um that that is a great like villain face-off is it's really 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 good um and i do also want to give a quick momentary look into other media that the sixth doctor is in because you know a lot of people have found greater enjoyment with colin baker's era um actually by going over to big finish Mm -hmm. uh, and listening to the big finish audios there what do you feel of that argument do you feel like that's helped your enjoyment of the sixth doctor are you kind of neutral on it I had the chance to interview Colin Baker at a convention in Atlanta a few years ago. And in preparation for that, I listened to a bunch of his Big Finish stuff. And it was sort of like a night and day moment of revelation for me. Once you get the costume out of the way and you've got different writers, he carries himself really well. I would particularly point people to the Lost Stories Um, audios that came out a few years ago that takes some of the aborted season 23 episodes and remakes them for audio. Um, The Nightmare Fair, where he actually does take Perry to Blackpool, which he Mm -hmm. almost said that he was going to, Um, marred slightly by the fact that the climax of the story involves the Doctor playing a video game, which is perfect for audio, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) And the follow-up, Leviathan, which which is a story about a giant uh, colony spaceship, which has this just majestic 2001-ish scope that could never have been pulled off on 1980s budget. But I'm a big fan of uh, Colin Baker's Doctor on Big Finish, that's for sure. Yeah, and I would highly recommend the uh, Big Finish Audio Jubilee by Rob Shearman, which basically is the inspiration for Dalek, the episode from uh, the first season of the of the new series, um, which is Colin Baker and uh, Dalek, and they joust uh, verbally, and it's great. And uh, Doctor Who and the Pirates is also oh yes. surprisingly hilarious and i think colin baker i think the audio stuff it's so great because his 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 voice he's just he is him like as an actor like he's just got that that colin bakerness in him and he just lets it all out in audio and it, it is a very particular style of speaking that he has you know it if you've heard him speak and it's a great medium for him to be in audio doctor who and the pirates is definitely I mean, if you if you ever wanted to hear a pastiche of Doctor Who and Gilbert and Sullivan, that would be the one. <laughs> it's also got Evelyn Smythe, who is a new companion for the Sixth Doctor in Big Finish Audios. Um, her first appearance in the Marion Conspiracy is delightful, and I think that she's a really interesting companion to go up against the Doctor. Um, it's also very rare in that um, she is an older woman who is paired yes. as a Doctor's companion, and she has got a very just unique relationship with the doctor and just absolutely takes no BS from him and is very steadfast in what she does and does not want to be doing. And uh, she's just this charming, wonderful companion. And I love her to bits. I agree. Do we have any final statements, closing arguments for why we should be loving the sixth doctor? I think that Colin Baker is a scapegoat for all of the problems that happened in those two seasons. And I think that that's kind of, it's almost unforgivable. Every different doctor and every different actor portraying the doctor could be to one person's taste or another. But I find that a lot of the criticism that Colin Baker's sixth doctor comes in for 
you could apply some of those criticisms to any other doctor. If you're, if you, you know, the the dress sense of the third or the fourth, the uh, braggadocio of the tenth doctor or the eleventh doctor, you know, all of these things do not exclusively uh, are not exclusive faults of the sixth doctor, and yet receive fan wisdom sort of zeroes in on him as the the, the nader, and I don't think that that's I don't think that that's fair. Yeah, I I agree completely. I think that there are issues there, but it, it is a, a truncated era, and it's worth, as I've been trying to do here, to think of it as an era that never really got a chance to do what it planned. They had one season that was, even though they dropped the twenty five minute episodes and stuck them together into fifty minute episodes, they had one season that was felt like a traditional Doctor Who season, and after that, it was all kind of falling apart, and that era never got a chance to to complete itself. And I would add, Chip, that, you know, yes, there was a hiatus and they lost a lot of uh, episodes to their order during the Colin Baker era. But I'll just point out they they brought in a new guy and gave it a go for three more years. And then they killed the show off. So, I mean, was it Colin Baker's fault that Doctor Who was in that state? I don't think it was. I think if if you look at the ratings, even they were already starting to fall a bit. And then it was the long hiatus and those short seasons that that kind of permanently put Doctor Who down in the four million range. And that was that was the end. Mm-hmm. I uh, would basically agree with all of that. Some significant problems, but there is still plenty to enjoy. And please don't be mean to Colin Baker on Twitter. He's delightful and I'd like to keep him. Mm-hmm. Jason, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing why you think we should all be loving the Sixth Doctor a little bit more. Somebody had to talk about Colin Baker. I'm happy to have been that person. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Time Travel, and we'll be back next week to celebrate the Seventh Doctor in all of his grandeur and stature and height. But until then, you can find us on the web at thisweekintimetravel.com, on Twitter at drwhothisweek, I tweet at numeral two-minute time lord, and Alyssa tweets and tumbles at Whovian Feminism. Jason, our lord and master, remember him? He tweets at Jay Snell. Also look for him at The Incomparable or at Six Colors. You can find us on Facebook as well. This Week in Time Travel is hosted by our lord and master, Jason Snell's Incomparable Network. You can support our show by becoming a member and ticking the box for This Week in Time Travel and any other Incomparable shows you like at theincomparable.com slash members. Thanks also to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. We'll see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.